uh, I want to invite you right now to find this sheet of paper. Maybe you'll find it online. It's entitled, Join Jesus in Searching for Lost Treasure. That's what we're going to do today. Find your Bible. Come over to Luke chapter 15. We'll start in verse 8 in a moment. And we're going to think about lost things. In my book, uh, the Bible, of course, is my top book, uh, but certain chapters in the Bible stand out. Uh, for instance, everybody loves Psalm 23, I do, it ministers to me. I really appreciate Romans chapter 8. All 39 verses have touched my heart. Philippians 4 is a wealth of counseling help to me. When I'm in trouble, when I need a pickup, I go to Philippians 4. John chapter 3 is everything. It gives us the heart of God and calls us to be born again. But Luke 15, it's an astonishing chapter, and it makes my top five because it reveals the purpose of Jesus, and it also reveals the human condition. You see, Jesus was jousting with some religious leaders, and they were criticizing Him for spending time with people that they thought were less than. Jesus explained His point and purpose. In Luke 19.10, He said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. If Jesus came to Montgomery, where do you think He would go? i got an idea. He would go to the hard places where people are hurting. The Bible tells us that that's His goal. It reminds me of a funny story. Uh, this family was at a family reunion, and this little kid, Jimmy, came up to the family reunion. He was 10. He'd come from vacation Bible school. He still had his Bible. He had it clutched in his hand, and his uncle, Uncle Billy, said to Jimmy, he said, oh, so you're coming from vacation Bible school. I used to believe in that Bible, but now I am an agnostic. Do you know what that is, Jimmy? Jimmy looked at his uncle, and he said, yes, I go to church every Sunday. I, I, I do know what that is. That means you are lost and going to hell. That's what it means. <laughs> uh, Jimmy kind of got to the point. And Jesus got to the main point, and the main point is this simple. Friends, we got a problem. By our nature and our choices, we are sinners, and consequently we are lost and separated by this chasm because God is holy, perfect, and pure, and you're not. So we need help. We need a Savior. That's why Jesus came all the way from heaven to earth to search for you his treasure because he deems you what lost he deems you lost now the religious people they thought the lost people were rejects were sinners losers but jesus loved them and treasured them think with me for a moment one of the worst words is lost wouldn't you agree one of the worst words is lost of course we've all had the experience of losing things not long ago i lost one of my pocket knives, I kind of have a collection of pocket knives that my dad gave me, but a guy gave me this 35 years ago, and uh, it was a really special guy. I baptized him. He'd given his life to Christ, and somehow I'd had it in my pocket. I was going to go fishing. It's got a bunch of neat blades on it, and I couldn't find it, and I was so sad. I looked everywhere, and do you know not long ago, I was actually cleaning my car. I try to do that at least a couple times a year. And, and I found that knife. And how I rejoiced. Just a couple of weeks ago, we lost some keys at the Wolf Den. Uh, and Mary Ruth and I went on a search. I'm telling you, we had to find those keys. And we couldn't watch TV. We couldn't eat. We, we had to find the keys. 
And we searched everywhere. Have you ever had that problem? You got to find the keys. And so I got out a light and we started looking under the couch. I found pens that had been lost. I found a whole collection of pens. I found pennies. I found peppermints. I found a pepperoni pizza. Well, actually not. But I mean, I found all kind of stuff. And then finally, you know how it goes. In the last place we looked, we found the keys. <laughs> this is how it goes. We all lose things. Oh, sometimes it's your wallet, the remote control. You've lost stuff. And uh, that's small stuff compared to another level of lost. Um, some of you have lost your job. In these hard times, you've lost your job. You've lost resources. Some of you have lost a marriage. Some of you have lost a family. Some of you have lost your health and your wealth. But here's the ultimate loss. The ultimate loss is not your life. It is your soul. Because Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 that if a man gains the entire world but loses his soul, he is the ultimate loser. It's a horrible trade. So that's why this message is vitally important for you to understand your condition. You are lost and you're in desperate need of rescuing. That's what this story is all about. Let's dive deep into this story from Luke chapter 15. All right, here we go. It's in verse 8. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Did you catch that? You see, this is the heart of the gospel. Now, I want you to understand several very important truths about the gospel. But as we plunge into this scripture, let's do something mighty important. Let's reset our heart upon the Lord. Let's do that right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are that you're the one who has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And Father, would you help us come to full spiritual attention, get me out of the way, so that your living word could re-architect how we live. And we pray for that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, now let me show you how to join the Savior's search as you listen carefully and hear number one, God's call to light up. God's call to light up. You see, that's the first thing this lady did. When she had discovered that she had lost a coin. Now, let me tell you about that coin. That coin was probably a drachma. Now, in the day of Jesus, that was the main Roman coin, and it was worth about a day's wages for a worker. So, generally, a woman would have, when she would get married, a headdress. It was what she wore to her wedding, and she had a dowry. And within that dowry, generally, there were at least 10 silver coins. They were not only valuable, but to her, they were very sentimental. Maybe it was kind of like a, almost a diamond wedding ring. And, and so she was evidently looking at her headdress. Maybe she'd gotten it out, and she made this startling discovery that one of the coins was missing. So she immediately starts to search. Well, the first portion of her search is she took a lamp, a simple olive oil lamp, and she lit the wick in those small 
Middle Eastern homes of Jesus' day, there would be maybe one window, and she began to search. She started looking everywhere. Now, I want you to use that analogy of turning on the light to light the way for the lost. Now, get the picture here. The lost is unlike the sheep or the son who strayed away, but this is lost at home. Bray Steadman writes a commentary on this wonderful passage and this brilliant man of God. He says he thinks the lost at home would be representing family, representing your children, your grandchildren, your loved ones, your friends. People who are right there adjacent to you, lost at home. So she lights the way for the lost at home. And that explodes my mind with the applicational possibilities. For instance, let the people in your home see the light of Christ. Well, how do you do that? Well, simple. You keep an open Bible. You keep a bended knee. You keep a servant's heart. You keep a sweet spirit. You see, Jesus ought to flow through you to your spouse, to your children, to your next-door neighbor, to that crotchety, I mean, to that uncle of yours that gets on your nerves at the family reunion. (laughs) He's one of the guys at the house that could be lost, and he needs your light. That's the call of God, for you to be the light of the world. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? He said in verse 14, you're the light of the world. So we should let our light so shine that people around us, and especially those closest to us, will see the light of Christ. Uh, let me give you a hint. If you're a mom or a dad or a grandparent, I have always told my children Jesus stories at night. Before we would go to bed, we would have a prayer time, and they would hear my heart for the Lord, and I would tell them Jesus stories so that Jesus would be more important to them than a Marvel superhero. Jesus is the ultimate superhero. So understand, that's what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to share your testimony. He wants you to be the kind of person that will pull out a gospel track and go over it with a little child. I can't tell you how many times I've told the gospel story to my children, to grandchildren, to other children. That is our high and holy opportunity and responsibility. I was talking with my fabulous father-in-law, Sam Simmons. And a few weeks ago, we went on a memory tour to Utica, Mississippi, and I got out my video camera phone, and I took a picture of Sam, and I turned on the video behind the Utica Baptist Church, and he recorded for his children, for his grandchildren, and now 11 great-grandchildren, his salvation testimony. When he was 10 years old, he heard a preacher preach hellfire and brimstone on a Thursday night in the August Revival in Utica, Mississippi, and he could feel the flames of hell on his feet, and he said when the invitation came, he literally ran down the aisle with one of his friends because he wanted to go to heaven and not to hell, and he told that story. And I want all of his family to know that story. So do your children, do your grandchildren know your salvation testimony if they don't Why not share it? Put it on social media. The Bible says be unashamed of the gospel. Light up, first of all, your home and your family. Tell your kids what you believe and why you believe that Jesus is the living Son of God and how He's changed your life and how He can change anybody. So start at home. Light up your home. Make it a lighthouse. 
I, I love that metaphor. Several years ago, the Billy Graham Association had something called a lighthouse movement. And I, I just love that metaphor. You know what a, a lighthouse is? Uh, a lighthouse, it not only shines a light, but it's a rescue station. This is one of the world's most famous lighthouses off the coast of France in the Bordeaux region. It sits on the Gordon River. It's 233 feet tall. Its light can be seen 20 miles out to sea. And this lighthouse has been there since 1611. For 400 years, it has guided ships to the harbor and safely home. And that's why your home should be a lighthouse for those who live within it and those who live around you. Be God's lighthouse. Remember what Jesus said in John 8, verse 12. Jesus said it so simply. He, he said, as he spoke to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So our job is to shine it and share it. Well, let's go to number two. You see, another insight of this search process is God's call to clean up. We want to light up, and then we want to clean up. Now, what do we see here? You see, the woman lit a lamp, and then she started to sweep the house. In those days, the floors were generally made of dirt, but there was straw strewn about to cushion the blow and to absorb liquids that were spilled. So I can just see her gently sweeping around, and man, she is looking for that lost coin. She is sweeping up. She's moving the dirt, the debris around. She's putting things up. And as I restudied this passage, God spoke to my heart. He said, Jay, is there dirt in your life? Is there debris in your life that would prevent people from connecting to your Savior? Let me ask you this, friend. Is your life a stepping stone or a stumbling block? There's an old poem that goes like this. Isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that caper and sawdust rings, common people like you and me, are builders for eternity? Each is given a book of rules, a shapeless mass and a bag of tools, and each must build before time has flown a stumbling block or a stepping stone. So which are you? When people encounter you on the pathway of life, do you help people through your attitudes, your actions, the way you conduct your relationships and your reactions? Do you create a series of steps that help a person connect to Jesus? Or instead, could you be a stumbling block? And because you've got a rotten attitude and you have terrible behaviors and foul reactions when things don't go right, People look at you and they think, if that's what a Christian looks like, I don't need that. I already got enough problems in my life. That means you're a stumbling block. Friends, if that's the case, I want you to hear God's call to clean up. The biblical word for that is repentance. It says here in verse 10 that when a sinner repents, the word is metanoia. It's a compound word. Meta, we get the word metamorphosis from meta. It means change. Noia is your mind. So to repent just means change your mind. Change your mind. Change your worldview. Quit seeing God as your enemy and see God for who He really is. He's your friend. He's your Savior. He's your rescuing agent. So you repent, and instead of running from God, you run to Him. That's what repentance is. Repentance is an act that links to salvation and conversion. We've got to turn from our sin and turn to our Savior. But it's an ongoing cleansing. It's God calling you to sweep the debris out of your life. 
to clean up, to constantly turn toward Him. Repentance is just turning around. Let me tell you a great story. It's very applicable to our day. Do you remember the movie Blindside with Sandra Bullock? It's the great story of Leanne Tuohy and her family meeting a guy named Michael Orr. The movie opens up with uh, Leanne Tuohy and her husband driving along. It's a November night. It's cold in Mississippi. And uh, they see this guy, this great big fella walking down the street. And uh, Leanne says to her husband, turn around. T- turn around. He, he said, what, what do you mean? She said, do you see that guy? He, he's uh, just got a T-shirt on. He's got his shorts on. He looks cold. Turn around. So reluctantly, he obeyed his wife, smart guy. And he went back and he picked up this young man. They offered him a ride. And you see, when they turned around, it turned around their life and his life. If you know the rest of the story, uh, Michael Orr ended up going to Ole Miss, and he became a number one draft choice for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, this guy's won a Super Bowl. He's like phenomenal. But his life was changed because somebody turned around. They, they repented, so to speak. There's a lot of repentance built into the story blindside. And friend, I, I want you to ask this question, Lord, where do you want me to turn around? Where do you want me to clean up? Where do you want me to straighten up? Heard about this guy who had this ugly besetting sin in his life. He went to his pastor and he said, Pastor, would you pray with me about this sin? So they got down on their knees and they started praying. And the guy, he said, oh God, would you clean out the cobwebs in my life? And the pastor put his hand on the man's back as they knelt. And he said, oh no, God, don't just clean out the cobwebs. Kill the spider. Maybe that's what you need to pray. Clean out the cobwebs and kill the spider, the satanic influences that are pulling you away from the things of God and making your life a stumbling block instead of God's stepping stone. Well, friend, here's what I want you to do. Let's go to the Scripture because you may be asking, I'm ready to do that. I want to clean up. How do I do it? How do I get rid of those ugly attitudes, actions, behaviors, reactions? It's simple. Look at the Scripture first, John. Chapter 1, it says, but if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's God's bar of soap. If you'll confess your sin, God will cleanse you and take your sin and throw it in the sea of His forgetfulness. Let's go to number three. You see, the third feature of joining the Savior's search is God's call to lift up praise. What what did this lady do when she found that coin? I mean, she lifted up her praise. She rejoiced. I bet the whole neighborhood heard her. And then she threw a party. And then we learn in verse 10 an astonishing fact that when a sinner comes to the Lord Jesus, the angels of God rejoice. That's what makes heaven rejoice when people come to the Lord Jesus, when they enter His kingdom. This is the greatest core value of the Christ follower, is make heaven rejoice as we bring people in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, friends, uh, we we all know what it's like to find lost stuff, right? Here's a quick lost stuff story. Uh, Years ago, Mary Ruth and I, when I was the associate pastor here, one day noticed 
as we were coming to church for a deacon's banquet, I, I was holding her hand and I felt a scratch where her ring finger is and her diamond had fallen out. The, the diamond had fallen out. The setting had worn away and the diamond just fell out. Well, we were mortified and we came home and we told people about it and we got a light and we looked in the grass, we looked everywhere and someone said that if you'll go get a vacuum cleaner and vacuum your house, a lot of times you'll vacuum it up. So we'd never had so much fun cleaning the house. I'm telling you, we, we cleaned our house and we vacuumed and I was determined I would find that lost diamond. And after a month of vacuuming and cleaning, do you know what happened? Do you know what happened? I was going to do it one more time and I vacuumed everything up and after I vacuumed everything up, I opened up this little vacuum cleaner. And do you know what fell out? Oh, my gracious Mary's diamond. Oh, there it is. Wow, golly, I don't know how we missed it. <laughs> well, this is not a real diamond. This is just a reasonable facsimile thereof. But what I want you to know is we did some kind of hollering, hooping, and dancing when we found that diamond. We were overjoyed because that which was lost was now found. Now, here's what I want you to know. If we would be excited about finding a diamond in the dirt, think how much more exciting it is to find your child in Christ. You see, here's the ultimate quest, parent. Here's the ultimate joy. Be sure your children come to know Jesus. All four of our children follow Jesus. And four of the greatest experiences of my life is to see my children embrace Jesus as their Savior. My son, Jason Wolf. That cute little guy. Oh, he loves the Lord. He stands for him. He's 38 years old now, but this is 30 years ago. He gave his life to Jesus when he was eight. And uh, we told him about the Lord. He embraced Christ as his Savior. Uh, and I baptized him 30 years ago. And, and when I baptized him, it was a fulfillment of what I promised the Lord when he was born. When that little boy was born, Jay the third, I said, Father, I don't care if I ever preach a sermon worth hearing or serve in a church worth being part of, but all I really want to do is to live my life in such a way that my boy trusts you and will follow you. And he did then and he does today. You see, that's your greatest goal as a parent or a grandparent, to experience the joy of seeing your children come to Christ. And friends, here's what I want you to understand. You're going to have joy when people come to Christ. But then people will come to Christ if you have joy. Did you get that? You see, people are attracted to joy. And if you're living a sour, dour Christian life with no joy in it, oh my goodness, you're a bad ad for our heavenly dad. Quick story, there's a guy named Gypsy Smith. And I've always loved Gypsy Smith's story. He was a great evangelist. He literally grew up outside of London. He's a Romanian. He was a gypsy. And he got saved because his father got saved through a Salvation Army testimony when he was in jail. They would steal stuff all the time. So he came home, he told Gypsy when he was 16 about Jesus. Gypsy got saved. Then Gypsy Smith at age 17 started preaching, and he preached for 70 years. He was preaching like a house on fire when he was 86, and this reporter said, Gypsy Smith, how do you keep doing it? He said, simple, I've never lost the wonder and the joy of what Jesus did for me. Oh, my friend, do you have that joy? This is what the Scripture says, both in 1 Peter 1, 8, and 9. For though you've not seen Him, you love Him, and even though you do not see Him now, 
You believe in Him. You're filled with inexpressible, glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. And then listen to what David said in Psalm 51. Restore to me, O Lord, the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Oh, my friends, that's the call of God to be people who do the joyous activity of leading others to Christ, starting with your own family members and then radiating the Lord's joy and drawing others to you. Well, here's the last part. God's called to step up, to step up. Let me explain it like this. It's time for you to step up. You see, the Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You see, it could be that you need the joy of the Lord Jesus to flow again into your life. The lost can be found. One of the greatest stories I know about that is the story, the amazing story of a man named John. John was actually a slave trader. And in, eight, and in 1747, he was running his slave ship down to Africa. And on the way back, this horrible, vicious man was caught in a storm. Most people thought he was beyond God's reach. But he was reading a book called, from Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ. And as he read it in the grip of that storm, he got on his knees, he humbled himself. He said, oh God, save me, have mercy on this wretch. And he said he surrendered himself to the Lord Jesus. He was rescued, the ship was saved. When he got back to England on March the 10th, 1748, he said, I have been changed. And he became a pastor he became an abolitionist. He was totally against slavery, and he became a hymn writer. He condensed his salvation story to these words. You know these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You see, John Newton, he was lost, but because of the amazing grace of God, He's forever found. What about you? Perhaps right now you are ready to say, yes, yes, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want to be extracted from my darkness. I want to step into your light, into your love. It's this simple. It's yours for the asking. You see, the Lord Jesus came to find you. You're his treasure. So here's what you've got to do. Pray this simple prayer. Let me help you. And turn from your sin to your Savior and he'll change you now and forever. Just say, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I believe you died on that cross for me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. And I choose right now to follow you, to be your child. And I will be your servant every day and all the way. My friend, if you pray that prayer, I want you to call this number. I want you to say, I am ready to follow Jesus. Just text in yes and give us your name so we can connect with you and help you grow in the Lord. Would you text us right now? Don't hesitate. Some of you are saying, I'll do it later. No, no. Now is the time of salvation.